Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the World Podcast Network, and the Family Podcast Network. And we're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and 1650 a.m. in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. That's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Today, we're excited to be joined by Dr. Jennifer Wells, the Director of Women's Mental Health and Carilion Clinic's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. In just a moment, we'll discuss her work to support patients experiencing mental health and substance use challenges and more. Before we get into that, welcome to the show, Dr. Wells. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Wells, let's start by learning a bit more about you, aside from the professional credentials we just mentioned. From what I've read, you have California roots, you like to hike Southwest Virginia trails with your dogs, you like to travel, you like to do photography, and meditation are all aspects of your life. I mention all this to ask, outside of your clinical work, what are the essential things you want people to know about you? Hmm. Probably, that's a good question. I don't know that there's Anything that's essential that they know about me. I think I have personal history with addiction, so it's both professional and personal with me. I think that helps me be a better doctor surrounding those issues. I know what it's like to lead a very busy life and meditation and mindfulness and my two dogs, which are near and dear to my heart, all help keep me balanced. And I think that helps to may better understand and maybe empathize with what my patients are going through. But that's probably it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And now that we know a little bit more about you, let's shift to discussing your clinical work as Director of Women's Mental Health at Carilion Clinic, a role in which you are involved in treating women who are often pregnant and parenting while also struggling with substance use disorder and mental health challenges. You have training as an OBGYN and completed a psychiatry residency, which seems aligned with this work. If you would, could you tell us more about that work and the patients you serve? Sure. Yes, certainly my training sort of provided a a unique environment for me to feel comfortable with both pregnant women and those with substance use disorders. The great majority of my clinical practice is in treating pregnant and parenting women, as you said, with mental health and substance use disorders. They often overlap, but I do have a fair number of patients who suffer from one or the other, a mental health issue separate from substance use, and those that just have addiction issues without a separate mental health diagnosis. I see both inpatient and outpatient. So in the mornings, I spend my time on the inpatient psychiatric unit at Carilion Mental Health and in the afternoons in an outpatient clinic. And my outpatient clinics vary day to day. I do spend two days a week embedded in the OBGYN department at Carilion Clinic so that women who are pregnant and parenting and are experiencing mental health or substance use issues sort of have an easier way to get to me. They can go to their regular OB appointment and see me there. All my clinics are directed at maximizing care for pregnant and parenting people such that they have the smoothest, easiest way through their pregnancy and into the postpartum period because we know that sort of healthy moms make for healthy babies, make for healthy families. And we think of sort of perinatal mental illness as a transgenerational illness. So the sooner 
we get to a family, the safer and stronger our families are for generations to come. And I'm curious about what observations you may have in relation to your clinical work about the challenges presented by the current moment in time. We know that during the pandemic, while most other hospital service line volumes declined, there was a rise in demand for mental health and substance use treatment services. We know that more Americans say their mental health has suffered since the pandemic, and the data tells us that the rate of babies born with neonatal abstinence syndrome, which is exposure to drugs in the womb, has been increasing. As you survey the landscape, what are you seeing? I think exactly sort of what the numbers portray. So if you think about the pregnancy and the postpartum period, it's a time where women can use extra support. And with COVID, a worldwide pandemic, what we saw was the opposite. A lot of women felt alienated, unable to attend postpartum groups, see support groups, have inpatient appointments with their providers, be it OB, be it psychiatry, be it family practice, be it community medicine, that a lot of times women found themselves more alone than ever at a time when they needed the greatest amount of support. So whether that is a mental health struggle or an addiction struggle or both, all of those will worsen in a time of stress. Same with pregnancy. We recognize that pregnancy, whether good or bad, is a time of stress. And so to be sort of separated from the things that bring you support, caring, nurturing, is going to worsen mental health and addiction issues. Definitely. And as we contend with those societal challenges, perhaps you would agree with the idea that it is vital to pursue strategies that enhance access to services for people struggling with mental health challenges, especially knowing what we do about the difficulty that can come with the postpartum period and substance use challenges. Your work seems focused on treating patients with dignity and reducing stigma. Tell me about how you and your colleagues incorporate that philosophy into the care you provide and why that strategy is important to improved outcomes. I think that you can't underestimate the power of stigma in preventing, in my case, pregnant and parenting people from getting into care. Persons who feel that they can't speak open and honestly about the symptoms that are affecting them are not going to get adequate care. People who finally sort of work up the courage to get to care and are then met with obstacles, be it, oh, you have to see a special doctor, oh, you have to be in a special clinic, or even the prejudices that we all have around addiction, around addiction in pregnancy, around mental health, around mental health in pregnancy. If you encounter your physician, the person who you are seeking help from has their own prejudices that they haven't worked through, then that's going to make it incredibly difficult to seek care for yourself. And that will predispose you to teaching those around you that you can't seek care for those conditions. So almost everything I do and every you know step I take is about ensuring that I'm destigmatizing what it means to be pregnant and have a mental health issue, what it means to be pregnant with mental health issue and addiction or just addiction alone. Part of my job is reducing stigma in the way that I see people and how I talk about it and what I present to the community. And, you know, we're all fallible. We've all used words that are stigmatizing, junkie, addict, clean, dirty, things like that. We're all in 
vocabulary around mental health and addiction issues. And, you know, my job is to continue to further that work, to suggest it to my colleagues, to talk about it in Grand Rounds, to speak on it at national conferences, to talk on podcasts, to share that it is not a patient's fault (laughs) if they have a mental health condition or an addiction, right? It is a disease. And we treat diseases. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you may be familiar with the Virginia Neonatal Perinatal Collaborative, whose work is focused on issues overlapping with your areas of specialty. And I know you're involved in establishing a women's mental health collaborative to help meet different needs. If you would, could you tell us more about that effort and its objectives? Sure. Yes, I do work closely with the VMPC as part of Crillian's OBGYN department and our DIO, Dr. Arthur Ollendorf. So I'm in collaboration a lot with the VMPC and in trying to improve access to care for pregnant and parenting people with mental health and addiction issues. And we're actually working on a grant that is in collaboration with the VMPC. As part of becoming Director of Women's Mental Health here, what I saw was sort of a dearth of sharing amongst our different departments. It's easy when you build a big hospital system to sort of feel siloed. And one department like psychiatry does its psychiatry thing and OB does its OB thing. And my work is centered around cross-collaboration, interdepartmental collaboration by its very nature. So as part of that, I sort of wanted to build something focused on women's mental health across all of Carilion's department. So I created the Women's Mental Health Collaborative. We meet monthly with a goal to promote women's mental health through education, improved access, and interdepartmental collaboration. Those are our sort of three main goals. Day-to-day, we work on making sure that other departments, one, know I exist, know that I can offer them guidance and counsel around treating pregnant and parenting people with addiction and mental health disorders, offering up referrals to persons within other departments that might be sort of physician champions for the same women's mental health and addiction issues, providing other departments with resource materials, reference phone numbers, hotlines, various physicians and or counseling resources in the community, also community resources like Postpartum Support Virginia or Huddle Up Mom, Feed, Read, and Grow, MOPS, a bunch of community resources that might be helpful for parenting people who are trying to get needed support in coping with mental health or addiction issues. So that's sort of where that was born out of, and I hope over time it will sort of continue to grow so that we build kind of a resource library for women's mental health going forward that would be available to everyone at Carillion. Awesome. Thank you. And for someone listening to this who might be interested in seeking mental health or substance use treatment, what would you tell them? Seek help. (laughs) Ask for help. Shout it from the rooftop. If you don't feel like you were heard, find somebody else. Certainly at Carillion, I'm happy to have my name out there as someone who champions women's mental health and addiction issues. But there are many, many people throughout multiple departments, internal medicine, OBGYN, pediatrics, family and community medicine, who are standing at the ready and want to ensure that pregnant and parenting people are getting the help they need so they can raise healthy children, so those healthy children can then become healthy parents and in 
intergenerationally, we lead to a more successful, treated society. That's great advice. Thank you. And thank you again for being with us today, Dr. Wells. And before we let you go, we do have a tradition on the Patients Come First podcast to ask our guests a pair of personal questions to give listeners a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions. So please choose two numbers between 1 and 10, and I'll ask you the corresponding questions. Four. All right. Number four. Which, if any of the following things, do you consider most plausible? Bigfoot, Yeti, Loch Ness Monster, or UFOs and aliens? If none of those apply, but you believe in something else along those lines, please share it. Huh. I think if I'm going with any of them, I'm going with Bigfoot. <laughs> I'm not sure that I that the data supports it, but I think it's the most plausible and or like people would see things that was really a giant bear, but it looked like Bigfoot, so that that gave credence to the tale. I definitely think there are things in this world that I cannot explain. So I guess under that rubric, I have to offer up that any could be possible. But if I had to choose one, I'm going Bigfoot. That's a great answer. Thank <laughs> you. And do you want to pick one more number? Nine. Number nine. If you were miraculously granted one wish, what would you wish for? Oh, boy. One wish. I think it would be somewhere along the lines that every living organism would be possessed of humility and kindness as primary features in their personality. That is a very beautiful answer. I love that a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's where I would go. Like, world peace seems too... It's not specific enough to me. And I think we could get a lot of places if there was just more humility and more kindness in our world. Definitely. And thank you again. And that brings us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. And we want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Jennifer Wells, for joining us today. So thank you. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate